please let me see your ticket stops for the uh, Double Edge Double Bill, where you get two film and or media discussions for the price of one, which is, uh, you know, nothing. Adam Thomas and uh, Thomas Maiani will come to the table to randomly select a yin and yang of a double feature. One will have two good movies, the uh, the other two bad ones. Both will have to pick a number between uh, yeah, 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for each episode. Uh, let the chaos begin. I'm Adam Thomas. And I don't know, I'm Thomas Mariani. I don't know, Spuds. I don't know if we can do it. All right. <laughs> I know you're trying to do a Joe Dante impression, but we—you sound like the little pipsqueak, like gangster guy, and all those cartoon parodies. But that's all right. You know what? I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> no, nor should all of you in the crowd. As I kind of obliquely mentioned, uh, our topic for this week on the Double Edge Double Bill is Joe Dante, because uh, we are releasing this the very week of his birthday. So happy birthday! Happy birthday, Joe Dante! Fucking guys. Responsible for two of my favorite movies of all time. Oh, I'm very excited. But don't tell me, because they might be your picks. I'm not. No. Uh, one of them is. Yeah, but I mean, it, so, Joe Dante, of course, is a director behind a lot of great sort of cult films of the late 70s and 80s. Um, great uh, cultural influence. Also produces trailers from hell now on YouTube. Very popular. Uh, loves cult and exploitation films. One of many people to come from the Roger Corman school. And cartoons. He loves cartoons. Oh boy, does he love cartoons. <laughs> um, and he's made plenty of both cartoonish and maybe not even as cartoonish movies that we could pick from. And uh, for those of you who might be listening for the first time, The Double-Edged Double Bill is a show in which Adam and I come to the table with two movies that we're not aware what they are beyond the topic. And uh, we switch off on quality. So Adam this week has the two good movies, and I have the two bad movies, based around the topic of Mr. Joe Dante's filmography. And uh, we will each pick a number between 1 and 10 for the other's two picks. And then we will decide, based on that, what our good and bad picks are for the double feature. And I will go first, and I will go with number three. All right. At number two, I had The Burbs. Oh, I love The Burbs. <laughs> I love the fucking Burbs. The Burbs is like one of my favorite comedies of all time. Oh, very, very underrated. Um, I, I'm very excited to talk about this one. At number seven, I had Matinee with John Goodman. Another underrated one. I really like Matinee a lot. Me too. I'm a bit miffed that we aren't doing Gremlins 2, but there's always time, and we will do that eventually. Yes, I agree. I, I, I chose not to pick either of those just because I felt that would be the obvious. Right. Of course. But fuck, I want to talk about Gremlins 2 so much. Anyway, uh, now you pick between my two bad choices. Oh, boy. All right, well, I'm going to go number six. Okay, at number seven, I had one that I don't necessarily consider bad, but is very divisive. Looney Tunes back in action. Oh, fuck me. Is that, uh, the, is that the goddamned Brendan Fraser movie? That is the Brendan Fraser movie. Oh, my God. Alright. <laughs> I mean, you would have probably preferred that over my choice that was at number two, which was Burying the X. Yes, I definitely prefer Looney Tunes back in action over Burying the X, but oh boy. I mean, I haven't seen Burying the X, but I've just heard Universal like, oh, it's such a sour note. <laughs> but anyway, um, we'll be back with our zany, wacky double feature right after this. Walter Stark just took a dump on Rumsfield's lawn again. Tom Hanks loves the burbs. It's tree-lined streets. Mine, Walter! A paper on every doorstep. And a couple of human sacrifices in the house next door. Ray, this is Walter. No! The burbs. Hey, honey, I think we should move. <laughs> Starts Friday, February 17th at a theater near you. Consult your local listing. And we are back from our double feature. Um, our zany, wacky, crazy double feature. Where we started with 
one of the least zany, wacky movies Joe Dante's ever done. In a way, it's pretty zany and wacky, but it's very understated zany and wacky. It gets there. I mean, we'll talk about it, especially with a certain <laughs> performance. Um, yes. But so, Adam, this was one of your choices, obviously, for the good. Mm-hmm. And uh, why... The Burbs. Well, The Burbs is one of those movies. Everybody's got one when you were a kid. You watched it as many times as you could, especially like with family members or, you know, an older brother or cousins. And this was that one for me. Now, when I was a kid, I'll be honest, I didn't understand it. I knew Tom Hanks was funny. Like when he eats the sardine and he has the reaction to it, that always killed me when I was a kid. It still makes me laugh. Art was very funny. Uh, Corey Feldman was always cool, but I liked Corey Feldman because he was, you know, Edgar Frog. But I really liked it because of the contagious laughter effect. My cousins and my brother and even my aunts would laugh so hard at this movie. So I would just laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh, you know, halfway to fit in and halfway because that's what happens. But as I got older and revisited it and revisited it, I grew to appreciate it a lot more and find more funny in it than I even realized was there. Like there's certain lines in this movie that are almost throwaway lines, but they just, they make me laugh so hard. For instance, you know, my favorite, one of my favorite lines in the movie is when the Clopex drive the garbage down to the end of the street and throw it in the bag and, or in the can and they beat it with a rake. It just, Tom Hanks, just deadpan. You know, I, I've never seen that before. I've never seen a man drive his garbage down to the end of the street and <laughs> beat the hell about it with a stick. I've, I've never seen that. It's just because they think it's a body, first of all, which makes it so much funnier. And just, like I said, Bruce Stern, everything about him in this movie just kills me. He's so funny. There's so much in here for adults. And honestly, like preteens, I think would think a lot of this is funny, too, because there is a lot of slapsticky to it. You know, even with like Bruce Stern slipping on the dog shit or when he falls on the roof, and his gun gets caught and. You know, Art getting electrocuted. And, I mean, there's a lot here, and it's so funny. Tom Hanks, he still is a master of the craft, but he was so good in comedy. He was such a good, almost straight man, but with a goofy edge. It just worked. Well, it's interesting, talking about this in consideration of his career, he was actually concerned about doing this because it was the first time he played a dad, which is weird to me because, admittingly, being younger... I mainly sort of knew Tom Hanks as, like, a dad figure, or if nothing else, your favorite uncle. Yeah. Like, Tom Hanks is, like, the family member you always want to see at Thanksgiving or the holidays, because, like, oh my god, he's my favorite. And he always kind of had that perception to me, because I only discovered, like, his earlier, more raunchier, sort of, single-man comedy stuff after I'd grown up with that perception of him, like a bachelor party or any of the other stuff like that. But I think he does it really well here, especially being, like, a younger dad who still has sort of, like, a kid-like fascination with what's going on in the neighborhood. Which is what I really like about the movie, is it, it feels like it's definitely Joe Dante dealing with at least these sort of suburban 50s angles that he likes portraying in his movies. Like, a grim one's obviously he's dealing with that sort of sure. nostalgia. And this is down to the point of it's shot on the Universal lot where the Leave It's Beaver set was. Like, it's right. clearly him working through that to the point where apparently Corey Feldman's house is actually the Munster's house, which he specifically shot around, which is why he's always on, like, the porch working. <laughs> that yeah. is so crazy. And that is, I mean, good good on them because, hey, the second if that house was in full frame, you would have recognized it mm-hmm. instantly. B, that was, what a smart move to have him constantly working on the house in certain areas or painting. So you don't pay attention to the rest of the house, just what he's doing at the time. That's a very, very smart way to work with what you got. Yeah, and I love also just like, we never see his parents. Well, yeah, in the same way you don't see uh, Rick uh, Ducommon's wife as well. It's just these are. The arts. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. This movie's a lot about sort of like neutered masculine. Edge attempting to come out when nobody's around to actually supervise these idiots. Like, oh, 100%. I, I mean, they're like children, dude. Yep. <laughs> they, 100% where, honey, uh, hey, can Ray come out? It's like, I think I've already given you my answer. <laughs> they, like, they kick their feet, you know, like kick a pebble. They look all down and depressed. They're just a bunch of stupid kids. They're just stupid. And it's like, Ray is unfortunately the defunct like has to be the leader because even as like childish he is compared to the other two he's a fucking einstein Mm -hmm. which is why i 
I love Carrie Fisher so much in this movie. She's so fantastic. Because the, when I think of Carrie Fisher, like obviously a lot of people would say like, oh, Princess Leia, but Princess Leia almost feels like such another other presence to me. That oh, I yeah. divorce it mostly from Carrie Fisher, except they look obviously exactly alike. Um, to me, when I think of Carrie Fisher just as a person, her usual acting style, I think of like this or When Harry Met Sally, which is very natural. Yeah, I can agree with that. Very yeah. grounded, very funny, um, but especially here where... Very um, subtle. Yes. So. Exactly, like where she's she's funny in a snipey, believable way. The, like when they offer him, you know, sardines, and he's got a, and she looks at him and like nods her head, like, yeah, take one. Makes, <laughs> makes him eat that gross sardine out of pretzel. And, and I really like like the chemistry that her and Tom Hanks have because they're a believable married couple, especially like when they fight. It's not like bitterly vicious, but it feels like a very genuine. Like they're screaming at each other in a way that feels real. Especially, I love when the sun comes in. And Tom Hanks is still kind of yelling after he even says, like, Art's over there digging through trash. He's like, what are you talking? What? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and stuff like that. But also, even, like, at the very end when all the chaos is happening and Tom Hanks is, like, partially bandaged and he's completely brutalized. And she's mm-hmm. just like, hi, to him. <laughs> very, know, it's like, so it's, it's warm, but it's also, like, acknowledging this is fucking ridiculous. This is happening. They're, they're really great together. Oh, they're fantastic together. You know, on my vacation, Carol, I want to sit in the backyard and listen to the ball game and drink a couple hundred beers. You know, just lay around. I'm on vacation. <laughs> he doesn't want to do anything. He's not going to do anything the whole time he's on vacation. To throw back to that garbage scene, though, first of all, two Joe Dante favorites. Robert Picardo is Joe and Dick Miller. I mean, and they were so funny, too. He's like, you know, who's going to clean all this up? Well, you are. Because you're the garbage man. <laughs> I put trash in bags away in here, not off the street. Great use of Dick Miller. Anytime oh, you use yeah. him as like a service guy driving a big truck, perfect. Mwah. The, the best. That really works. I think a lot of it does come from the fact that this was apparently going on during a writer's strike in 1988. So they actually had the actors improvise a lot of stuff, and it feels like it makes those characters a lot more genuine. When you have stuff like, apparently the whole bit where Carrie Fisher and Tom Hanks are playing along with Jeopardy, completely improvised, and it feels very real. Mm-hmm, as an 100%. Yeah, and there, there's other smaller bits and pieces that just, like, it gives this whole, like, little suburb a lot more character. It feels a lot more defined, which you could risk not feeling that way, especially when you're shooting on the Universal lot. Right. Um, it could feel very fake and phony, but this feels very genuine, especially if you've ever grown up in the suburbs, like I did. I don't know if you did, Adam. I, technic- I technically did, yeah. It, it feels very genuine to, like, idyllic atmosphere, but the weirdness does creep out of there, especially when they're just snooping around uh, yeah. around this house. And the design, especially on, I love how decayed and awful that house looks. That it's terrible. It, it fits it so the perfectly. The screen is so old and rusted, it's even flipped up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but no, it's funny that you brought up the improvised scenes because one of my favorite things in the movie is when uh, Rumsfeld rips the wallpaper. That's what's so good about the improvised scenes. Like you said, it, it, these guys do these scenes because they know their characters and it informs you even more who the characters are. Rumsfeld's an asshole. There's no question. Bruce Dern's character is a complete asshole in this movie. Art is a moron. <laughs> like his Satan is good. Satan is our pal. <laughs> we want to kill everyone. And Tom Hanks is a family man. Maybe reluctant family man in certain parts, but he's a family man. Around this time, because there was quite a few movies that came out during the writer's strike, and they were immediately kind of like, no, they're not going to be any good. And it was kind of put on the back burner, and I think this movie kind of suffered from that. I don't think this movie was given the credit or even the, even the time of day that I feel it deserved. And this is important to talk about in terms of with... Joe Dante's career, he was doing mostly, like, bigger hits. Like, obviously, he was riding that wave of Gremlins still for a while. Um, and he was, you know, doing stuff like Explorers and Interspace, which weren't big hits, but at least were, like, bigger studio jobs for him. And this one, while it didn't do badly at all, um, it, on an $18 million budget, made $49 million. Um, it still was definitely one of his lower-end hits, and obviously it would get kind of worse in the 90s when he would do bigger bombs as things went along we'll talk about one of those in a bit at the same time i I do like that this feels like it's a bit more of a grounded dante that's more character-based like we're talking about it feels like there's a lot more playfulness with the actors going on it kind of reminds me in the same way of like say explorers which works at its best when it's like having just these kids kind of interacting in a sci-fi way with each other sort of the ingenuity and building up that chemistry and you can obviously tell he's doing a great job of that here um with 
honestly, like it's a cartoony bit, but it's still, it's one of the funniest things I think in any movie is the femur bit. It's it's oh so God. goofy. Oh it's my so God. stupid. Where it zoobs it out, zoobs it out. And it's so cheap, but just the <laughs> so reactions funny. on the two of them is like, Ray, this is Walter. Especially, I love that Tom Hanks holds on it just too long. <laughs> right, he goes for like a half second. Genius. As we talked pre-show, this isn't horror comedy. This is comedy with tinges of a horror in it. Mm-hmm. And not even really a horror per se. I mean, I mean, it's more like a mystery almost um or you know like a paranoia like a hitchcock type deal right like a comedy thriller to a certain yeah. extent yeah i mean you could say yeah. that i mean i would compare it in a similar way to a recent movie i discovered but has become one of my favorite sort of comedies with a genre edge to it arsenic and old lace the Cary Grant oh movie god. oh my god you recently discovered that movie yeah it's so great <laughs> that's one of my all-time favorite movies hold on we'll, we'll get to that at some yeah, point that's that's in the back pocket oh my god i love that movie okay but anyways. but but you would agree that it has a similar thing of that where it's a movie clearly made by someone who knows horror movies but at the same time it's way more of a comedy with that tinge put on it yeah yeah absolutely it's made by someone who loves both genres yes and and honestly knows how to do both genres i mean joe dante knows how to make a funny movie joe dante makes the type of movies to the best of his ability, obviously, that he loves, that he would find funny, or that he would find entertaining. And you can tell he just knows all bouts of cinema. If you've ever seen Trailers from Hell, where yes. he'll talk about any given type of movie. Mm-hmm. He's clearly like someone who grew up stewed in classic cinema, especially. And then also, it's that, that with the combination of someone who actually started making movies with Corman, where it's like, you have no money. Do something. Right. And he uh- always did. I'm telling you right now, you put a set of bigger eyebrows and glasses on him, he's Martin Scorsese. With <laughs> the way they talk about movies. Both of the Corman school. Yeah. Yes. And even their voice and how fast they talk and everything. Like, they're so identical. But he's really into characters, too. Mm-hmm. He's really into quirky characters. Like, he likes just... Even Tom Hanks' character. You know, he's a normal guy, but he's got that little bit of a dark edge to him. To where he's willing to go break into the neighbor's house just to see what's going on because he's so curious. Like, one of my other favorite moments of the whole movie is the bit where after everything has gone down but before the big reveal that they're actually right about the neighbors and he does his full-on rant and was just like, you know what, Art? Maybe they should be scared of us because what do their neighbors do while they're gone? They come in and they burn down their house! <laughs> like, it's not them, it's us! Art. Yes. I found out twofold. One, that was part of a complete reshoot of the ending. And also, that was all shot at 3 a.m. A reshoot of the ending, huh? Yes. I will get into that in a bit, but just how much energy Tom Hanks is able to put in, especially in the middle of the night when they're shooting Mm -hmm. that, is phenomenal. It's probably next to classic Tom Hanks' Toy Story, You Are a Toy, my favorite Tom Hanks freakout, like in a movie. Yeah, it's a great outburst. I agree. He's got a couple of those in this one, but this that's probably the best. Especially when he ends up just like, take me to the hospital. Just take me. I'm done. I'm done. Take me to the hospital. I need to go. I'm hurt. And he grabs the gurney, puts it in the ambulance, and then lays on it. He lays down on it on his stomach. He doesn't even give a fuck. He's just ready to go. There's two parts in that finale that get me every time. Mm -hmm. One is... Hey, Pinocchio, yes. where are you going? Bruce Stern's best puts, line. Like, Amazing. He slides and foot sweeps him. That's <laughs> just one of the best. And then, of course, your wife's home. My wife's home. So, <laughs> so he's, in, he's in the shit now. Like, it's so great. <laughs> but apparently that whole thing where like the ambulance goes into our house, also, that was something that was added in the reshoot. Oh, okay. In the original version of the ending, it was like Tom Hanks goes into the ambulance and then um, Henry Gibson reveals himself and then they just grab Henry Gibson, arrest him, and it ends on a much sort of like, eh, note that's similar, but it feels like it's missing something. And it was one of the rare occasions where like the studio was like, nah, you gotta reshoot this ending. And it's like, yeah, that actually makes sense because this ending is so zany, but in a way that feels like it's been building up this whole time. The movie's been winding up to this point. And just lets right. out so loose. Yeah, no, I'm glad they did that then, because you needed that just extra breath of just craziness at the end. I mean, the movie's been building up to a chaotic point the whole time. To have it end with a whimper wouldn't have worked. 
No, yeah, and, and they add just enough stuff that really works. Especially even, like, the shot, the, the ending shot of Corey Feldman saying, I love this street. He's not uh-huh. talking to the camera, it's just over, like, uh, they're panning upward. And he's just like, I love the street to nobody. And it just right. feels weird. That little change makes it all the more intimate. And, honestly, I I would say this, it's the best Corey Feldman performance in any movie. I'll, I'll say, like, this era Corey Feldman, I also liked Tommy Doyle. And I did like right. Mouth and the Goonies. I know you don't like that movie, but I thought he was pretty good as Mouth. And of course, I love Edgar Frog. But like the best, like crazy Michael Jackson, Corey Feldman. Yeah, then yeah, this is his best. Which, by the way, apparently, visitor to the set was not Michael Jackson, but uh, Corey Feldman brought along Bubbles the Chimp a lot. <laughs> a chimpanzee is Michael Jackson's emissary. What a fucking nutcase! He <laughs> 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 was so crazy. Here, take the elephant man bones. Prove you with me. <laughs> the fuck? Apparently, oh Bubbles God. literally covered Corey Feldman's trailer with feces, which was the point where Joe Dante's like, we have to ban Bubbles from the set. He cannot come here anymore. <laughs> Could you imagine that phone call? <laughs> you gotta call the studio heads back. I can't have this fucking chimp running around my set anymore. <laughs> well, you could write him in. We're in the middle of a writer's strike. <laughs> I can't do, do that. <laughs> it's spread shit all over the place. <laughs> we can't improvise with a chimp. You will rip our faces off, literally. But you know, I want to talk a bit more about the mysterious sabers that come in because we haven't really talked the about Clopex. them as much. The yeah, the Clopex, which um, is an interesting bunch where you have Henry Gibson, obviously a favorite, very underrated character actor who I love. Oh, he's seeing. so good! Such a little sweet looking man too. An adorable Keebler elf of a man. Yes, exactly, hundred percent. Which works so perfectly for like when you especially introduce to first Courtney Gaines, who by the way I didn't know. That was uh, Malachi of Children of the Corn until this watch. Oh, really? I don't think, obviously, I didn't know right off the bat. But, yeah, because after I saw um, Children of the Corn probably a couple years after this one, I was like, holy shit, that's Hans. Um, And then also Brother Theodore, who feels like, especially watching this, I'm just like, you're just like a Rankin-Bass puppet. Brought to 100. He looks like he was designed by Rankin Bass. Just him coming in, he's got this stout face that's like sinking into his chest <laughs> with his gray sweater vest. Yeah, I love him so much. No, but but being introduced to them, and then Harry Gibson comes in, like, oh, we're fine. I don't know if they brought the wrong impression, but I've totally got control of this house. It's wonderful, and then like, and it shit, totally like, works for the women. Like they completely buy it. Like, oh, what a sweet man. It was like, nah, dude, he's fucking evil, man. Yeah, that's so funny to me. And uh, But just their first meeting provides so many comedic moments. Mm-hmm. But that, I mean, like I said, the wallpaper, the pretzel with the sardine. You know, you keep a horse in the basement? <laughs> I mean, they're flipping the painting constantly to try to get the right angle on it. And then even, I just love the details of, like, how slowly destroyed their fence becomes over the course of the movie as uh-huh. things go along especially when like their dog comes in and tries to kill uh, Rick Ducommon it, it's so great yeah yeah. well cause he hits the fucking wire I mean what an asshole but no the Clopex it's so cool because you know Joe Dante does it really well too to where there's at least for me there was a second in this movie you're thinking these are just a bunch of weirdos. They're, there's nothing wrong with them. Like, it's just this paranoia going on on the street. That mm-hmm. is a possibility that they lay towards you in this movie. Mm-hmm. Which is which is awesome. I mean, but then once you see them digging in the backyard, you're like, yeah, no, these guys are, there's something going on here. It works so perfect against, especially the three male leads, to where they almost each have their own foil. Like, you know, Bruce Dern's is clearly Hans. Tom Hanks is the main one, the doctor. And then I guess Arts would be the other one. But Art is just a fuck-up in general. <laughs> like, everybody, Art's against anybody. Everybody, including himself. And Bruce Dern and Tom Hanks. He's constantly messing up. Mm-hmm. Like, the scene where he's got the fucking BB gun. Like, oh, Art's in the backyard and he's holding a rifle. My favorite thing with Rick Common is in the dream sequence, which we haven't talked about. Um, where which is skip? Yeah, where I just love that. The fact that he, like, you could have easily just had him play this character. It's like, oh, it's clearly, like, Tom Hanks is having his friend in this vision of this dream, this subconscious stuff. But the fact that he comes up just like, hey, it's me, Art, but I'm pretending to be Skip in the dream. (laughs) Like, I just, it fits perfectly in character, yet it's still this weird dream logic that's going on. And I will say, when I was a kid, that dream sequence legitimately scared me. Oh, scary, dude. Like, the chainsaw coming through the wall. Yep. The, the the dude in the hoods with the horns? Yep. 
You're like, what the fuck? These are barbecuing him? Yeah, it was terrifying. But again, kudos to just Tom Hanks' reactions and all that shit that pops off, like the chainsaw coming through the wall, the way he acts and everything. And then also, you know, it's clearly Joe Dante showing love for the horror movies that came before him. Texas Chainsaw, I mean, he was watching it, wasn't he? Well, he was watching Texas Chainsaw 2 at one point, but also that's very clearly attributed to Devil's Reign, which also is a clip. Yes. It's funny, you brought up Courtney Gaines. He almost reminds me of, like, Board 9 in Devil's Reign. Mm-hmm. The, with his look and, his, you know, just everything about him. Honestly, like, I, I remember as a kid not enjoying it as much because it was so much more used to sort of, like, Dante's sillier, more genre-specific flair. I've progressively enjoyed it more and more as time has gone on. And I think it is just because it, it has that great balance of, like, it is clear, like, you appreciate so much more about sort of the weird suburban angles of it when you as you grow older, but also there's mm-hmm. still, like, a kid touch to what you mentioned, that all of them are basically playing man-children. That's clearly, like, what all of them are. Um, Even Bruce Dern, who's like, oh, I'm in the military and all this other stuff. It's like, dude, calm down. You're stepping in dog shit. Relax. (laughs) And and he's he's nothing but a Mm fuck-up, too. I mean, they're all fuck-ups. One of my favorite scenes, too, is when Art comes in for breakfast. And he just raids their fridge. He's yep. eating like old ribs, chicken wings. <laughs> and I love when Tom Hanks sleeps. He's like, are you going to finish your eggs? Mm-hmm. Yep, I love his son, you know, last night I saw him digging. Digging? Like grave diggers? Yeah, maybe. But it does set up perfect suburbia. Like, these guys are just neighbors. And they know? have they, nothing to do. No, nothing. like, fucking hobby or free time they can absolutely devote themselves to. So it's they all about just, like, spying on people. each other. Yep. And the thing is, you know for a fact, the way they talk shit about Walter, you get the idea that they probably talk shit about each other that way, too. In oh, fact, yeah. Tom Hanks does talk shit about Art and Rumsfeld in the movie. You just don't see it on the other ways around, really. Mm-hmm. It, it, it represents that whole two-faced nature of being like mm-hmm. in a suburban neighborhood where you're like, these are the people that live in your neighborhood, so you're like, oh, I guess I can be friends with them because they're the right. people you're around. You're forced to be friendly. Right. Right, but you should talk them behind your back. Just that two-faced angle of it. And especially how like Tom Hanks is it all the time, but yet he's also just as guilty of being a fucking child. Like at the very opening, when he just looks like, "Hey, look, dog shitting on Rumsfeld's lawn again." <laughs> right? Yeah. Like right. you ignoramus, you're no higher than anybody else on this no, neighborhood at all. At all. Um, before we go to final thoughts, I want to ask you if you had to pick because I love this movie for the one-liners. What is one of your favorite one-liners? Um. Ooh, that's. That's interesting. I think Hey Pinocchio does give me the biggest laugh in the movie. That's a good one. For sure. That's it's, a it's good a, It is a really great line. Um, um, come back. You know what? I also really like the bit after the fence completely breaks down and mm-hmm. the way Tom Hanks says in a sinister tone of like, let's do this again sometime. Yeah. <laughs> I love that delivery so, good. That so much. So good. Lawrence, I'm on to you, you motherfucker. Yeah, like, <laughs> you know, let's right. do this again. Uh, let's do this again. Real soon. <laughs> right. One of mine I, that I didn't mention that I've been holding is you've been walking around with that in your trousers all day? <laughs> yeah. Oh, fuck. Bruce Dern's delivery of this movie is so perfect. I can't believe he didn't do more comedic work than what he actually did. No, I agree. Yeah, I, I think he's especially just so wonderful in here. Um, the only time where I think he's done it later and I think it's really worked is, um, it's a very dry movie. It's more dramatic than it is comedic, but, um, Nebraska. That was a, a few years ago. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, he, he had a fair amount of, like, dry, witty comedy that really worked off Will Forte quite well. So let's go into final thoughts as you teased, Adam. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. You've been gushing so much, you might as well go first on uh, the burps. I mean, what can I say about this movie that Anna already said? I mean, it's, it is full to the brim of one-liners sight gags, you know, off-handed comments, fantastic comedic acting, just a really fun story, action, adventure even. It's just, there's nothing in this movie that bums me out or makes me like, eh, I wish they would have done that a little bit better. I love this movie. This is damn near my favorite movie, period. Not a genre movie. It's it's right up there. This is easily in my top five if not my top three. If this was my first real introduction to Tom Hanks. I mean, I think I saw Splash before this, but, you know, what do you, I don't remember Splash, really. I was so young. So, 
and I've grown to just love Tom Hanks. I even his missteps that he's taken in certain movies, he's still good. Like he, Tom Hanks is one of the greatest American actors working right now. I just love this movie to bits. I love it to pieces. I love Bruce Stern. Bruce Stern to me gives in one of the best comedic performances I've ever seen. For some reason, I don't know what it is. He just tickles my funny bone so bad in this movie. He thinks he is so tough and everything, and he's just such a putz. I mean, to where his biggest opponent is the little poodle that lives down the road shitting in his lawn. It, it's the funniest movie to me. I love this movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say I'm not as enthusiastic necessarily, but I still really do enjoy it. I think it's like I said, it ages like a fine wine. As you get older, it becomes more and more funny because you get a lot more of the context of it. And just, I agree, smaller details really flesh out the world of this cul-de-sac really well. And it's a great ensemble cast. We haven't mentioned even some of the like Wendy Shaw as Bruce Stern's wife. Yeah, she's great. I think, yeah, she's really great, especially the way she subtly is kind of flirting with Corey Feldman. And just kind of like, oh, what a oh, yeah. silly boy. Just well, she's a stereotypical this. trophy wife. Yes. But you can tell that she's the only thing keeping Brewster in it all together. She's constantly putting him on a leash. Like, you fucking idiot. Get back home. <laughs> Come on, stop <laughs> yelling at the old man with the dog. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, stuff like that. I, I think especially, I, that, that's why I think really holds up better really well. Is It honestly feels more like this would have been a movie that would have been made after Tom Hanks was so familiar as a dad figure, honestly. And it feels like ahead of its time in that way. Where, because this is the first time he ever played a dad in a movie, it felt a lot more just like, oh, the bachelor party guy becomes a dad, versus, in context, it feels more like it's a commentary on what Tom Hanks would later be, because, like I said, he's America's dad, America's favorite, you know, father, paternal figure, and in this movie, it's about, like, well, you might think that, but really, he's kind of an idiot, a buffoon, who leads around a bunch of other buffoons to sneak into some people's house. And even if the ending kind of shows it's like, oh, they were actually crazy this whole time, the methods still don't justify the means at all. In any no. way. And the movie's yeah, very clearly no. satirically pointing at that. In a way that, like I said, I think that's what really ages well with it. Where even stuff like, you know, it feels very much of like the late 80s, but still some of these themes really hold well past like several decades later. They, they still hold a lot of water. There's still a lot of truth to it. Uh, there's still a lot of satiric jabs that still hit pretty hard. Um, and it's, it's like you said, it's a smart movie. It has a lot of great character work. And it's one that definitely deserves a lot more attention in his filmography. I'm glad that uh, Scream Factory just did a recent release. I know, that's incredible. I haven't th- See, I actually don't collect physical media that much anymore. That's one that I definitely need to get. For sure. The one I'm not sure Scream Factory would ever do a new release of is our next feature, which is Looney Tunes back in action. The Looney Tunes are back on the big screen. We hug, we cry. <laughs> so did you miss me? We cannot let a boy, a girl, and a rabbit thwart our plans for global domination. What about the duck? <laughs> Brendan Fraser, Jenna Elfman, Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck. Welcome to my world. And Steve Martin. I know I'm hot. Looney Tunes, back in action. It's all yuck yuck and then bam wham blam. So yeah, Looney Tunes back in action. Um, this was in November of 2003, November 14th, 2003. It's sort of a culmination of things in terms of, we kind of mentioned before, Joe Dante loves cartoons, obviously has a big affection for the Looney Tunes, as you could see in especially the Gremlins movies. And naturally, of course, he would want to come and do a movie with the characters. He, in fact, originally pitched to Warner Brothers a movie called Termite Terrace, which was going to be like a Chuck Jones biopic set in like the 30s when he was starting to do his work. And he was obviously later friends with Chuck Jones, who would pop up in a bunch of his movies, did animation for Gremlins 2, where Bugs and Daffy Mm -hmm. show up. And at the time, Warner Brothers was like, no, we don't want to do that. There's a lot of period stuff. We want to do something that kind of appeals to the kids right now. And they did Space Jam. Yep. Which, it's a kind of impossible not to talk about that when you're talking about Looney Tunes back in action. Yeah. And, uh, you know, lots of nostalgic love for Space Jam right now. It's what all the kids love talking about on the BuzzFeeds. What, what the fuck? Like, I don't... Why? Well, I'll admit this, Adam. As a kid, uh, okay. I remember, uh. one, Space Jam, 
was one of the first movies I remember seeing in the theater when I was very young. I had an attachment to that movie when I was a kid. It was probably my introduction to the Looney Tunes. Um, I'll say this much. Guys, it doesn't hold up at all. It's a at bad all. commercial. Other than the actual Looney Tunes characters and maybe Danny DeVito, the acting in it is atrocious. But also, it's a movie that doesn't give a single shit about the Looney Tunes as characters. Correct. I mean, 100%. It's a, it's a movie to fucking celebrate how awesome Michael Jordan and the NBA is. Yeah, but also for Warner Brothers to promote Looney Tunes is like, look, kids, they're popular IP that you can love. Look right, at they're it hip. Yep, they're hip, they're happening, and I think it's what resulted in all those weird Looney Tunes as gangster rappers shirts, which I still don't get. Oh, I had one. But what's the appeal of that? Why Why is Tweet Burden no a idea. do-rag work? Why, why does that work to anybody? Why is, you know, Bugs Bunny and Tasmanian Devil dressed like crisscross with their <laughs> clothes on backwards? I mean, I don't know, but I had that shirt. It was smart, though, because the kids of that era's parents loved Looney Tunes. So like, oh, Bugs and Daffy, I remember this from my childhood. Here, let's get a shirt with them on it. You think it's cool? I think it's cool. We can relate. I mean, no, that's the kind of cold smart. corporate synergy of why that happens, obviously. Yeah, exactly. and, and it's it worked. No, it did. It was the last time, honestly, they were, quite frankly, at all relevant as characters. Because, I mean, I, yeah. I, I also will say, I did grow up at just the last time when Looney Tunes were actually on television. Because they're really, like, the older cartoons really disappeared from, like, Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon. Not too long after I, you know, aged out of watching those networks regularly as a kid. But that's the thing, is like I grew up with those cartoons at the same time that like Space Jam was coming out. I was also watching those old classic cartoons, I obviously grew to be more attached to those as a kid. And obviously I'm guessing the same thing happened with you. Oh, absolutely. I I loved Looney Tunes growing up. I mean, some of my favorite comedic moments are some, from some of the earlier Looney Tunes cartoons. I like. I, I mean, I don't want to get into it, but the one where the opera singer is trying to practice and Bugs is living on the hill behind his house, playing his banjo and singing songs, the opera singer keeps mm-hmm. getting distracted. Is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. When Bugs Bunny puts on a powdered wig, they're like, "Oh, Leopold, Leopold!" <laughs> like, it's so stupid. I remember when the death of the original Looney Tunes happened, and it was called Steven Spielberg's Tiny Tune Adventures. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong, I did like Tiny Toons as a kid. It's just, you're like, wait, but I'd rather see Bugs and Daffy. You know, because Daffy Duck, to me, is one of the funniest characters of all time. Yes. Okay, off track. About this movie, the one thing I will say about this movie, and it is a horrible film, the parts when the Looney Tunes are doing the Looney Tunes shtick work still. That's why I don't think this is a terrible movie. I think the Looney Tunes are all in character, and you can tell that Joe Dante, and also credit to Eric Goldberg, who did the animation direction. It's also probably most famous for, like, he was the main animator behind the genie in Aladdin. And you can tell a lot of that zaniness comes through with those characters. I think that's what makes this movie, honestly, a lot more watchable than I think most would give credit for to me, is that I think it's a movie that does appreciate and respect these characters and understands what kind of works about them. Especially, like, there are certain bits with Daffy that are still, I think, very hysterical. Um, There's a bit when he's being dragged by Brendan Fraser, and he's like, no, please, think of the children who would want me to have that blue monkey diamond. (laughs) Like, (laughs) stuff stuff like that. Or um, when he's talking about... Dodgers, and he's putting on the different rocket packs. Right. And every time he says Duck Dodgers, they blow up. I mean, it's just classic Looney Tunes bits. Yes. I will say Brendan Fraser is decent in it. He's, he was always decent with physical comedy. He's the one of all the human characters who gets more of the idea of what he should be. Because yes. I think the big problem is that a lot of the other human characters are either trying to play as cartoons, which we'll get to a specific of one certain person, and the other ones are just kind of trying to like, oh, no, the Looney Tunes will just go ahead and play off, like, all the comedy. I don't need to really act here. Versus Brendan Fraser is super trying. He's got the heart and the soul. He just doesn't have the talent, to paraphrase South Park. 100%. No, that's, uh, I mean, very, very well put. And uh, Jenna Elfman has none of that. No, that's what I'm saying. Jenna Elfman is totally in pilot mode. Like, the cartoon will be funny. Yeah. Even when her, like, her character is supposed to be like, oh, I'm a humorless executive, there's still, like, no actual balance off of what Bugs is doing in any of the scenes where they're together. She's not a good straight man at all. No, and then for no reason, they really, like, sort of, like, slut her up with her clothes. Yes. For no reason. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no reason to why she's wearing booty shorts and a skin-tight shirt. Goldberg is in it, the wrestler. He's fine. 
He's just playing a big dude, toughie. He's I don't... so bad, even without dialogue. Like, his body dialogue. His body, body language. language. <laughs> yeah, body dialogue. That's what I want to call it. Body <laughs> language is so wooden and stiff, it, it looks phony, even. If you Go want ahead. to talk about bad body language, we gotta yeah. get to... Steve Martin's terrible in this movie. He's He's terrible. He is... It's the problem of, like, I've been here often defending against you the idea of over-the-top acting. I don't mind over-the-top acting if it really works within what the movie's actually trying to do, versus what Steve Martin is doing is, oh, I will yell and be a cartoon character because I'm in a Looney Tunes movie. And it's like, that doesn't work because you're making the Looney Tunes the more subtle characters, and that completely defeats the purpose. Like, in a scene where it's him and Wile E. Coyote, Wile E. Coyote is, like, Daniel Day-Lewis-level natural <laughs> compared to Steve Martin. That shouldn't happen. Yes. He was overacting his ass off. Now, he, I did get a chuckle out of him twice in the movie. Okay. I really did. Where? One, in the in the first scene where he almost fell backwards. He's like, oh, 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 oh. I saw it was like when he's laughing and almost fell and just continued into that. I thought it was kind of funny. And then the other one, when uh, they revealed themselves... And he couldn't do it because he had the hat on. And he even said, like, I can't reach because every time I practiced this, I didn't have a hat on. Now the hat's making me not be able to reach my back. Yeah. That, that was, was kind of funny. Yeah. It was a, it was, it was a smart little line. But other than that, oh, my God, he was almost unbearable to watch. I want to say there's only one human actor who I think gets exactly what the tone of a human actor in Looney Tunes movie should be. And it's Ron Perlman in his one bit. That yeah, was Robert the one point good. where a human actor was in there where I actually genuinely laughed. Because it's also, he's playing like a stuck-up executive guy mm-hmm. who's just like, I don't believe that's how we should do this. And then he gets eaten by Taz. He's like, I withdraw my rejection. Right. <laughs> and just falls Which, apart. There was like a loaded cast as those uh, executives. Right. There's... Roman Picardo. Mm-hmm. You had, uh, God, I can't remember his name, but he's from Commando and the Mad Max movies. He was the one. Yeah, for Vernon the Wells. Yes, Vernon Wells. Right. Um, yeah. Mary Warnov, who's been in a bunch yeah. of like, Paul Bartel movies too. Uh huh. Yeah. That um, was there... pretty. Cur- it was cool though. I mean, it's funny to see Ron Perlman back in the day, like even this era in two thousand three, when this was like the best work Ron Perlman could get. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. this is right before Hellboy, before he could get a bit more high class material. I... Even even Hellboy though Hellboy he got that because Del Toro likes him. I'd argue like Sons of Anarchy made Ron Perlman who Ron Perlman is. But I mean it is also it's a Joe Dante movie so there's definitely a lot of cameos in here. Roger Corman shows up. That was fun to see, and of course Dick Miller again. Of course, as a security guard once again, yep. exactly yep. who you should have him play as. And I mean and also like even a fun, like I would say the joke it was like one of the meta jokes that he even got as a kid that I still think actually holds up is having Matthew Lillard getting grilled by Shaggy and Scooby Doo. Yeah, that was funny. It's that was funny. very funny. Yes. I, I liked the Area fifty two thing where you see all the classic, you know, sci fi creatures from like the fifties era movies. Including Cl- Kevin McCarthy at right. Invasion of the Body Snatchers it's showing up stupid. in black and white. But Which seeing, is, like, the Metaluna and the Triffid and everything like that, how cool. And the like, robot monster even down to that. Is the robot monster the uh, gorilla suit with the astronaut head? Yes. Oh, my God. It's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best, though. It, it's indicative so of cheap 50 sci-fi. It's perfect. It's so good. It doesn't feel like a Joe Dante movie, despite Looney Tunes being everywhere. And apparently this was a very bitter movie to Dante because it had so much studio hands all over it and you can tell there's like so many points where this feels like a corporate cash in thing they even try and make a joke about it with like the Walmart bit but that feels like at a certain point it's not a joke anymore oh it was 100% not a joke uh, yeah no I agree 100% and you could tell that Warner Brothers made them interject some of these characters and scenes mm-hmm. into the movie like there's no way Joe Dante wrote in the script that Brendan Fraser's character was Brendan Fraser's stunt double from the Mummy movies. I don't, don't believe that was in, in in something he wanted to do. It was so stupid. I, I don't quite feel that. That feels like more of a Dante guy compared to, let's have Heather Locklear play. Like, uh, for nothing. Uh, no, no, for no reason except to give exposition and yep. to like be ogled at there's no real reason for Heather Locklear to be there and it's also to get us to the idea of like Yosemite Sam having a casino which I think is a great idea that makes sense sure. for like we're yeah. 
if you're going to have, like, him have jo- a job outside of being in cartoons, having him at a casino makes sense. I think they have yeah. good, like, setups for all the villain characters to, like, kind of be integrated in. But just the gags don't really work that well. The biggest one being Taz. Because Taz is introduced in that cool Ron Perlman way. And then when he actually goes out into the movie, he farts. And then marries another Taz. That's it. Goldberg. Right. Yeah, who... (laughs) For some reason, was Goldberg. Yeah, who they turned Goldberg into. Um, I mean, credit to... It is Brendan Fraser doing the voice of Taz. Yeah, no. Very well done, actually. Yes. uh, But it's just... It's such a waste of that character. Honestly, the only one where it really works for me... And it's probably the standout sequence of the whole movie, and it feels the most like a Looney Tunes old short, is when Elmer Fudd is chasing Doug's and Bugs and Daffy around the Louvre through the paintings. Yeah, they, yeah, and it was so well done the way they did it, too, where they would take on the almost effect of the painting they were in. Yeah, they would take on that style. It, it fits mm-hmm. so wonderfully. And there's so many... Like, <laughs> Elmer Fudd actually turning into the scream is such a great visual gag. Yeah, yeah, it was very well done. And even them, I like, agree. jumping out of different paintings, like, it's a Scooby-Doo bit, and they're different, like, there's so many little Easter eggs of different paintings you can recognize as yeah. they're jumping in and out. Um, it's th- That is the most creative, joyful thing that feels, like I said, like Dante had the most fun doing. Versus all the generic spy stuff, all of the... Any of the scenes where it's just humans interacting together, it feels so much more of, like, this is Studio Mandate. Um, I did like Dalton in it, though. I thought Dalton was having a good time. Mm-hmm. But I like Timothy Dalton. I wish they used Timothy Dalton more in the movie. <laughs> I, I agree. No, like I said, every, I'm watching this movie, and which I got to say, my three-year-old loved this movie. She thought it was so fun. She was laughing the whole time, got so excited. And I'm like, so, like, a three-year-old gets it. <laughs> like, who was this movie made for? Apparently three-year-olds. Was this her introduction to Looney Tunes, I guess? Was it? Uh, no, no. She loves Tiny Toon Adventures. Oh, okay. Like, she loves that show. Because we tried to find something that we could stomach for her to binge watch. And that was the one we stumbled across on Hulu. So, But no, she so she knows what it is. Mm-hmm. But any time the humans came on, when it was just human interaction, she was moving around, getting antsy, getting bored, starting to jump on me, shit like that. Um which I think is why it's so indicative of, like, why I think this is less a terrible movie and an extremely uneven movie. Because the Looney Tunes, I think, are so in character. And I also want to give credit to uh, Joe Alasky, who was the guy who voiced Bugs and Daffy and several other people for a while until he died recently. I and think he did really good. He picked up the torch really well. No, I think he's, yeah, he's the, I think, the best of any of the people who have taken up the Mel Blanc gauntlet. Right, because Junior, when uh, Mel Blanc Jr. did it, it was mm-hmm. bad. Yeah. <laughs> it was yep. really bad. Mm-hmm. But no, I, I agree. In fact, I'm watching, I'm like, man, this guy's really good, and I had to look it up. Yeah, he's really, really does a good job to where they sound like what you remember them sounding like. Mm-hmm. And the characters were there. I mean, I loved, you know, Daffy in this was the Daffy Duck I love. Mm-hmm. The Nutcase, Sardonic Asshole. Yeah. Because that's what Daffy Duck is. Bugs Bunny is the egotistical asshole. I mean, that's the thing about these kids. They're all dicks. Like, yep. the Looney Tunes are just dickheads. All and and I, I like that they actually try and explore a bit about, like, the relationship between Bugs and Daffy, which isn't something, like, because that, that relationship, that comedic partnership is so key to what made mm-hmm. the Looney Tunes work so well, because Bugs is the egotistical asshole, but he completely plays it cool. Daffy has no chill. And that chemistry is so genius, and especially, like, obviously, the classic thing that they play on at the beginning of the movie with the rabbit season, duck season. There's Mm -hmm. a reason that works so well, and it's because it's Bugs taking advantage of Daffy's inability to take control of himself. Right, he's such a hothead. Right, and I think they they play to that advantage because I I like the idea that Daffy's done this before, where he leaves the studio contract and vanishes, and Bugs is like, I know where he is, I know where he's going, I can predict Daffy's every move. Get him back, and he's constantly getting pay cuts. (laughs) They're almost like they're a they're an old couple who know each other's moves very well. Right, and and I will say this, even though it does look a little rough in certain spots. The blend of live action to animation was done pretty well. You can only tell it by the actual, like, the, the human actors, actors yeah. not being... <laughs> to be fair, because this is, like, I guess, at a... I get it for most of them, where it's just, like, you probably haven't been around this idea of, like, look at a tennis ball. Or look at... Yeah. Apparently, they actually had, like, stuffed animal versions of all the characters there on the set 
to interact with. Except for Brendan Fraser, though, because, like, dude, you did those Mummy movies. You did at least two of those before this. Right. He's, he's, a, he's worked with nothing but CGI. You worked with Monkey Bone. You have no excuse. <laughs> right, Monkey Bone, George of the Jungle. That had more animatronic characters in it. That's though. true. Yeah. But can I ask a question? So, yes. at the scene where Timothy Dalton is on the train tracks... And the bomb's going off, gonna go off, and they unleash the Acme dog. Why was that dog CGI, and not just an animated dog? Um, I mean, when I saw that one, it was garbage. I was wondering, is this a reshoot? Yes, the movie was actually supposed to end when they're at that like Aztec temple thing. Oh, yes, that oh was all heavily reshot. Um, and it's a shame because I've actually I saw some like the deleted scenes. There's one an amazing opening sequence where Daffy's pitching his movie, and it's him as a superhero fighting against Elmer Fudd, who is playing like a weird organ robot monster thing. That's amazing. It's all animatic, but you I'm just watching like fuck. This should have been like the actual intro of this movie. You can see so much of what Dante actually wanted to do, which was make a big screen actual Looney Tunes movie. And then have, like, the studio in-jokes that kind of happen later. Um, but especially in the deleted ending, there's a great bit where after they turn Timothy Dalton out of being a monkey, where he just goes to Brandon Fraser and says, Son, all those things I said when I was a monkey, every oom and ah, I meant it. Every <gasps> single bit of it. <laughs> like, <Come on. laughs> that, that's amazing, though. That's a great yeah, that's line. Well, yeah, that's good. But in the process of, like, doing this huge, elaborate, like, Star Wars-y thing with Marvin the Martian... It saps whatever soul the movie had out so hard. Oh, 100%. And I will say this. Was it the same guy who did Bugs and Daffy who did Marvin the Martian's voice? Yeah, it was Eric Goldberg. It was not um, Joe Alaski. No, it's terrible. I don't know, dude. It's like, I really want to like this movie, and I really do appreciate what they accomplished. I really do. Because the, the seamless between the human and the Looney Tunes is very well done. They are the Looney Tune characters you know and respect and love. It's just, I could give two shits about the human storyline. I don't care. I think it's why, honestly, thinking about it, as much as they get those characters right, and as much as, like, a, a big thing about this movie was it bombed hard. It was a huge, oh, massive really failure for Warner Brothers, to the point where it really scaled back them doing much Looney Tune stuff, to where, like, they were so desperate, like, a couple years after this, they did... Remember Lunatics, the superhero animated show they tried to do? Oh, oh no! This is this is real. I remember this. This was probably my first example of being nerd outraged as a child. Was seeing that, and I'm like, what? that's not the Looney Tunes. Oh, it was no. a two season long show. That was like their first thing after this, where it's like we gotta make this relevant for children again. So that's what they did. Lunatics was like they had a whole redesign. They put them in black. They oh, looked a lot more no. edgy. And it was it was terrible. And th- for years, they've been trying to kind of reinvent those characters and do different stuff with them. They did, like, a sitcom thing with them on Cartoon Network. I saw a bit of that. It was fine. They did, like, the Baby Looney Tunes thing. It was garbage. Oh, God, too. Thomas. I see what you're looking at. So it's Taz, Babs, Bugs, Wiley Coyote, Daffy, and the Roadrunner literally wearing, like, movie X-Men costumes. Yep. That was the thing that happened. <laughs> oh, how edgy and extreme. Oh my god. Yeah. Imagine like 12 year old Thomas seeing that and being like, that's not the Looney Tunes. What the fuck is this bullshit? I couldn't watch it. I couldn't watch it. And apparently you could find it pretty easily. I won't watch it. No, you shouldn't. Um, But my point is with that, that like, they've really been trying to do stuff with these characters and just hasn't worked. And I think it's honestly, just go back to doing shorts. These characters don't work in even 30 minute TV shows, let alone like a full movie. And I, I don't think getting them outside of, like, that basic format ever really works. It's a shame, because honestly, have, have you seen any of the newer Mickey Mouse shorts that Disney's been doing? I've seen one or two of them. I've never been a big Mickey person, so... Nah. Well, that that's the thing. I haven't either, but I feel like those shorts have done what they failed to do with Mickey Mouse for so long, which was give him a personality, give him an I edge. Agree. And I think that's what works about those shorts, and it's something that, they honestly, they made Mickey Mouse like the characters feel like actual like Looney Tunes cartoon characters as opposed to like very generic corporate images and that's what I think is missing from the Looney Tunes and so much of the stuff they've done since this movie it's been so much about like how do we brand these things how do we corporatize Mm -hmm. them and it's like that's they were subversive characters 
that's the whole point. That's why I think Space Jam was the worst thing to happen to these characters because that was the beginning of the end. That was the beginning yes, of them completely losing the point that people like Chuck Jones and Tex Avery and so many other people created them with. It was they were using studio money to put a middle finger toward the studios. That's what their whole point was. And making them yeah, products I mean, doesn't work. The Looney Tunes, when did they first come out? What, the 40s? Earlier than that. 30s, maybe? I mean, they're yeah. they're old. And if you watch some of those original Looney Tunes cartoons, there's no way that shit would be on air now. They're no. so violent and rape. You know, Pepe Pew is a rapist. Not to mention incredibly racist in some places. Yeah, oh, incredibly. Incredibly. <laughs> when it worked was when it was the characters against each other. Yeah. Some of the best ones were Foghorn Lakehorn against that goddamn dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where, he, where he pulled his ass out and spiked it with a two-by-four and run it away. But then they stopped trying to do what was funny and update it and make it current and current and current and just stop caring. Yeah, like the early examples of that was if you ever saw the package movies they did in the 80s, where they have the really bad animation in between the classic cartoons that they cut together so poorly. Like, the uh-huh. Fantasy Island thing with Daffy Duck, if you ever saw that was one of them. Oh, yes, I do. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, like, they, they did that, too. That was, like, sort of the beginning, like, the early rumblings of, like, oh, they don't know what to do with them. Then Space Jam was, like, that first death nail. <laughs> and I think it's honestly, like, if you're gonna do a Looney Tunes movie, you either do what Roger Rabbit did, which you can't really recreate. This movie's obviously trying to do that. Or you do what Joe Dante did previously, and do Gremlins to the new batch. Because that gets more of an idea of what the Looney Tunes should be in a feature format, which is gray figures of chaos that come yes. into the real world. If you're ever going to do this again, which I doubt Warner Brothers will ever do. I don't think it'll ever happen. No, you, would, you should have them be almost like, this is going to be weird, kind of like what they're doing with the new Godzilla movies, where they're agents of like chaos come into our world and they don't give a shit about humans, and it's just they're doing their horrible, over-the-top, silly actions, and it's causing massive destructive damage in real life, and we can't deal with it. I mean, I get it, yeah. I, I mean, that, yeah, I can That's agree with that, That's the way to keep actually. the truest to those characters while doing, like, a big zany movie, and that's what Dante did with Gremlins 2. We'll talk about it at some point in the future, but we that's the genius I mean, of that movie, is that it is just, like, the Gremlins are unleashed upon the world, and they don't have any real like, malice towards humans as much as complete lack of giving a shit about them as they do their stupid antics. Right. Yes, uh, 100%. I mean, unless it's Leonard Moulton or someone else like that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, with that, uh, I mean, go with your final thoughts on this one. Um, it's better than Space Jam. We can all give it credit for that much. I agree. It goes over that barrier because it gets the actual characters right. But that only goes so far. Because, really, these characters were meant for short form, and it feels like they kind of ran out of ideas to do with them anyway at a certain point. And the human characters, as we mentioned, even if they're trying, some of them are either trying too hard or trying but don't have the skill to actually play off these characters well. It it only gives more credence to why R.I.P. Bob Hoskins was one of the greatest actors of any generation. Because he knew exactly how to be a straight man to a cartoon that wasn't there. He deserved an Oscar for playing Eddie Valiant for managing to do that. I 100% and agree with you. The, the, the fact that you can... I've never seen a live-action character interact with a cartoon that's managed to achieve even a tenth of that. And Looney Tunes Back in Action is like a huge smorgasbord of humans that don't really do that well with it. And like I said, it's a shame it also killed Joe Dante's career pretty hard because he's been only doing very small minor movies that... Most of which haven't been that great. I kind of liked the one, The Hole. I thought that was okay. The Hole was good, but then you got Barry and the X. Yeah, and uh. he's been doing like anthologies as of recent too. He's most of the most Joe Dante thing he's done in like a decade and a half is Trailers from Hell. Yes, <laughs> unfortunately, that's it's a sad thing because I I would love to see him get more money to do like any other project again. And the idea that you have him handling these characters that he loves so much. And the fact that it was so clearly mangled by the studio, even without any prior knowledge, you can tell it. It's just a, what I feel is not a terrible movie, but still a massive disappointment of a movie, which almost hurts more. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go and say this is a terrible movie with uh, (laughs) a few shining lights in it. 
if I wouldn't have watched this with my child, I don't think I could have got through it. 100% honest. The Looney Tunes are so great. And, you know, the nostalgia factor, of course, weighs into it. But the human part is so bad and you don't care. I mean, and you do not care. And that's 70% of the movie. So it's very hard to get through. But I do agree that I don't think a Looney Tune movie by itself could work. I don't think that you could have a 90-minute movie with just the Looney Tunes. They work better as in like they did in the old cartoons where it'd be at the best you'd have two segments and they'd only be eight minutes a piece to ten minutes a piece. You have to have the human component, but more care has to be given to the human component. Like you brought up Bob Hoskins as Eddie Valiant and that whole thing. I mean, just even the time period they set it in worked perfect. Mm-hmm. It, you know, this old almost noir movie where cartoons are new and they're the big thing. It worked perfect. It was, And the major prominent characters were new cartoon characters they created versus they have Bugs Bunny, Mickey Mouse. Right, like... Betty Boop, for God's sakes. One of the originals. Mm-hmm. It, and it's worked perfect. To do that now and your newest cartoon character is Steve Martin, it fell flat in every way possible. I feel bad for Joe Dante because this literally probably did kill his career, which is a shame. Mm-hmm. But... It's that bad. Yes, and uh, we should also probably say last movie with the Jerry Goldsmith score, which isn't the best one to go. Wait, on. what? Really? Yes, he apparently. Like, what was the issue? Was he did the first two thirds of the movie, and then he was in such ailing health that John Debney, who's done a bunch of scores recently, came in and did additional music, which was code for he scored like the finale of the movie, pretty much. Oh. You can hear the Gremlin rag at one point when they first pop yeah, into that Gremlin. Yeah, I just I feel it's a major disappointment. No, yeah, I think we can both agree on that. And on that disappointing note, that is the end of our discussion (laughs) on the double feature. Um, Before we go, we do have some feedback to read. We asked all of you out there your favorite and least favorite Joe Dante movies. Uh, Scott Crawford, friend of the show, over at the podcast by the cemetery, says, Gremlins and Gremlins 2, the new batch, are my go-to films ever since I was a kid. I mean, yeah, it goes without saying. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, Gremlins is just, Gremlins and Gremlins 2 are a perfect original sequel. I mean, they're so good. Though I will say, honestly, as I've grown older, I've preferred Gremlins 2 to Gremlins. I disagree, only the fact that I, I really love Gremlins, but Gremlins mm-hmm. 2, I mean, I still really like Gremlins but Gremlins 2 is so crazy. It's so off-the-wall crazy. I, I agree. I think Gremlins is a better-constructed movie. Gremlins 2 is a more unique experiment that never happened again. <laughs> Yeah, okay, I can agree with that, sure. But but still, it's very neck-and-neck neck for me, obviously, in a lot of ways. Um, it's it's still, they're, they're both great films. I recently rewatched Gremlins as well over the weekend, um, and, I mean, that still holds up pretty well, aside from, you know, ancient Chinese secret shit. Oh, God, you know what? Can I, I gotta bring it up back to the movie we were talking about. How fucking out of control was it when they're in Africa in the Looney Tunes movie? And all of a sudden, Tweety's inside a cage in African garbs. Like, yes, we're free. Free us. Ooh, yeah. No, it's, it's stop. The, the Black Panther fist. Don't do that. No. Like, oh, <laughs> this is bad. <laughs> and this is 2003, so there's less of an excuse. Right. Right. <laughs> yes. Um, Brian Kane says, uh, Joe Dante is one of my favorite schlock directors. Inner Space and The Howling stand out for me. I personally never connected with Gremlins, but I see why it's loved all the same. Um, Inner Space is very underrated. I liked Inner Space a lot as a kid because, A, I love Martin Short, as I mm-hmm. think I've said. Yes. Um, but I hate Dennis Quaid, so it's kind of that. I was going to say, yeah, I, I figured that would be the main reason, but I, I would say that's one of the better Dennis Quaid performances still. I like him in that movie quite a bit. Yes, I agree. I, I will agree with that. Mm-hmm. I like And Martin Short's a great example of being over the top, but it works for what the movie's doing because he's literally acting like something is inside of him he can't control. That works. Yes. Not so much Steve Martin shtick. Um, Ebony Sierra Bell says, just rewatched Small Soldiers this weekend. And a thumbs up emoji. Yeah, I really like Small Soldiers. I like it enough. I like the soldiers in it. The kid <laughs> the kid drives me nuts. The main kid. I, mm-hmm. I can't I can't get behind him. Phil Hartman's funny in it though. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I mean him, Dennis Leary, um, David Cross. As the toy yeah. people, um, I think, really works. Honestly, I, that was one I was super pissed with. I think I'm the only 
child on Earth who had every small soldier's toy. Probably. I loved that so much. But yeah, I think Small Soldiers actually, it's, that's one that's actually aged better than I think it did at the time. Yeah, that, yes, I agree. It's still fun. And it actually, the effects still hold up pretty well. Yeah, I, I would say so. Um, and then uh, Kara Holden says, I don't think Matinee gets enough credit. It's a lot of fun and pretty underrated. I think, you know, saying what I said about The Burbs, I would say Matinee is the most grounded movie he's probably ever done. Yes, I agree. I think Matinee is a fantastic movie. I think, other than what we our previous episode, Barton Fink, I think it's one of John Goodman's best performances. Oh, it's such a genius casting. Like, who do we get as a William Castle-style schlockmeister? Goodman. Uh-huh. Great idea. Yep. <laughs> that movie, I think, was my introduction to the concept of, like, William Castle at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love their I bad do. William Castle movie of Mant. Genius. <laughs> Perfect bad 50s mm-hmm. schlocky sci-fi movie. And then uh, Stephen D. at Waiting FTH actually had this, which we, for our sports movie episode, which we got this just under the wire after we were done recording, Stephen, but we wanted to share it here, where he says, I'm sure I'm late to this. You were. Uh, but I'm partial <laughs> to I'm partial to Slapshot and pretty much any ice hockey slash boxing film. I remember liking Any Given Sunday as well. Stone's post-Natural Born Killers approach appealed to me. I like Any Given Sunday enough. Uh, I think that's a really good... Uh, post scent of a woman Al Pacino performance. I got problems with it though. And as far as hockey movies, other than Slapshot and its awful direct to video sequels and the Mighty Ducks, what is there? Goon. Oh, Goon is really good. Goon's really great, but they're few and far between still, so I agree. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the least least explored. I'd say out of all the sport, even soccer. Soccer has more movies, I think, than hockey movies. As much as Kevin Smith wants to do that. Oh God, please God, no! <laughs> I mean, so he was right... Rob Zombie for a minute. Oh yeah, that's right. He was going to do the Philadelphia Flyers movie, which makes yeah. sense for him. I mean, if you're gonna, yeah, but don't. Also, don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, we also mentioned Miracle last time as well. That's another one. Yeah, Miracle is a good one. Miracle yeah. is a good one. Um, well, thank you all for that feedback, and also we want to thank a few other people. Thanks to Chris Oliver for the music used in our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Emily Scarta for the art used in our show. She accepts commissions at fiverr2rs.com slash eescarta. And uh, you can find us on Twitter at dedbpod, um, which is also our Facebook page. And every Monday we put out that feeler about, hey, what's your favorite, least favorite thing from our specific topic we're going to be doing. Um, and you can also find me on Twitter on my own as at not the who's Tommy. Um, and you can also, uh, find my writing of reviews and such over at marianithomas.wordpress.com. Um, and you can find Adam in the water tower at the Warner Brothers lot. 100% right. Oh, by the way, did you realize the Warner Brothers was the security guard for Terminator 2? And the twin scientists from Gremlins 2. That's right. Yep. Don and Dan Stanton. Yes, sir. Yes, um, and uh, also we want to make sure uh, you subscribe to us on iTunes. Please rate and review us also there to give us more visibility for the show. Uh, we would appreciate any words. Uh, we only have one review on there. We'd appreciate more if we can. Please. <laughs> We're not desperate, yes. but please, please. Yeah, thank you. I mean, come on, God. Think of all the children who would want us to have iTunes reviews. <laughs> uh, but on that note, I believe uh, that's, that's, all, that's all, folks. Satan is good. Satan is our pal. He wants us to kill everyone. Good night. Good night. <laughs>